Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Canada's podcast, Atlantic Canada Division, uh, section, chapter, part of the world that is really, really, really special with regards to entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Rivers Corbett, and just really excited uh, about hanging out today with James Rockwood. Uh, James, he's, he's got an interesting about um, a profile on LinkedIn, and I was thinking about ways, and okay, what's the best way to introduce this man to the conversation today? Because a lot of people go that way. His is, let me count it, two sentences. That's his LinkedIn profile, but it absolutely is freaking perfect because it really, really connects to the spirit of the Atlantic Canadian entrepreneur. And so let me just read that. Uh, Actually, it's three sentences. The words proud East Coaster count as a sentence. So so James Rockwood, uh, he's a proud East Coaster. He's big into fitness, cooking, self-discipline. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, history, and stoicism. Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's it, stoicism. I yeah. love it. And, of course, why we're here to talk today is about his amazing journey with, uh, with Cap Intel, which is a fintech company. So uh, welcome to, uh, to Canada's podcast, James. Great to have you here. That's an amazing intro. I really appreciate it. I'm, <laughs> I'm super happy to be here. So thanks, Rivers. Well, look, dude, as with any anything around entrepreneurship, let's talk about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> because part of the journey of the entrepreneur, you know, that life, personal balance, whatever it is, obviously this is big enough for you. It hits your profile. Tell me about how, well, for, for the folks that don't know, what's jiu-jitsu and also what's Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Yeah, so so jiu-jitsu um, uh, originated, I believe, um, in Japan, um, and it's sort of a, a combination of like grappling and um, sort of throwing techniques with sort of submissions. Um, it was then picked up by famously the Gracie family um, in the early 1900s in Brazil, who created a um, subsect of it called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or BJJ, um, and that's you know a non-contact, um, meaning you're not hitting each other. Um, martial art it's designed around grappling. Um, it's designed around wrestling submissions. Uh, and it's great. And the reason that I love it, I did Taekwondo for six or seven years growing up, um, okay. which is really nice, but striking can sometimes lead to more injuries, uh, especially as, um, you know, somebody who, who, uh, needs to be able to, to sort of be able to show up at work uh, every single day. You want to be yeah. really careful. What's it, what's something I can do for a long time that is going to allow me to, you know, still enjoy the sort of chess match that is sort of combat, but also be able to, you know, walk into work the next day. And, and BJJ is amazing because, um, you, it's kind of like human chess because there's different submissions. You're mostly on the ground grappling with people, trying to find ways to, um, you know, extend a joint or to choke them. Um, mm. and you can go at a hundred percent as if you were in real combat without actually risking injury very easily. Cause you tap quickly. Cool. Um, people don't try to crank each other. You sort of train to train and um, it's really fascinating. It's also very, I find it's really helpful from a mindfulness perspective, you know, mm. as any entrepreneur or anybody um, who has a lot of things on the go, you want to find ways to clear your mind. Mm. And there's something about somebody trying to choke you uh, that <laughs> you know, really focuses you on not like what's for dinner or, you know, what am I stressed out about? You're just entirely focused on where that person's arm is, where their leg is, how you can move. And so I find it was really, really good. Obviously been more difficult to do it um, during the pandemic, but it's an incredible sport. It's very uh, beginner friendly. I'd encourage anybody to try it out. I love it. And thanks for letting me take that wing. You know, I love to intertwine wellness into entrepreneurship conversations and we kind of just led first with that one today um but i love that you referenced that the value of it besides just exercise but focus is so important i i uh, my kids gave me hot yoga one time for christmas and that's nice. one thing i loved it was a, yeah it was wonderful it was this focus for an hour and yeah. it was so freeing for me. And as an entrepreneur with those various challenges of mental and physical 
uh, 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 wellness in our lives. I think that that is so critically important. So thanks for letting me, uh, thanks for letting me go down that route, but I want to go down one more route that on your, on your profile. And then again, we're going to get into cap Intel, but uh, as the listeners know me, I never do it the way it's supposed to be done. So this is kind of <laughs> normal. So history, now your study and love of history, how, what type of history do you like to, to study and focus in and how do you apply it um, for, uh, for your, for your, you know, your leadership in your business today, if you do it all? Yeah. So, so history, I, I've always been really fascinated just generally with history, like it's essentially, you know, any sort of piece, but if I were to focus in on areas that I've focused on and spent a lot of time on, um, R- Roman empire is an area is an early passion of mine, you know, in like grade four and five, um, I was always really interested in it. Um, covered a lot of sort of uh, conflicts as well. World War one and two currently reading a book about the, um, Iraq, uh, sorry, the ISIS invasion of Iraq in 2014. Uh, yeah. I find it really fascinating and just different ways to sort of see, um, some reasons why potentially the world sort of is the way it is today, where certain regions um, have different uh, levels of prosperity, and how there's been a lot of actions that happened, you know, sometimes thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago that have lasting impacts to regions of the world. I think, generally speaking, where I've been able to apply history the most to what I do today is really around um, Stoicism, which is an, an ancient Greek and ancient Roman philosophy. Uh, on and philosophy meaning like way to live life or a series of of rules or guidelines to, to live your life by that I found to be incredibly helpful and and eerily relevant to your day to day. You can read two thousand year old quotes from you know Epictetus or Marcus Aurelius or some uh. of these people who lived that long ago that feel like they reach right into today in in a really kind of powerful. Um, Way and so so I find it's it's really helpful. They have a couple of ideas in Stoicism that are I, I think are really good, especially in entrepreneurship. One of the biggest ones is you can't change how you're going to feel or how you're going to initially react. What you can change is how you act based on those feelings. Uh, uh, so they tell a story about you know how Stoics are always trying to be really measured. In their feelings, and there's this you know ancient story about there's a stoic on a boat, and there's a storm, and he looks terrified, um, and they sort of say, "Hey, aren't you guys supposed to be fearless?" And he's like, "Yeah, you don't see me running around, right? Like, yeah, I'm scared, yeah. but I'm here, I'm calm, you know, I'm collected, and it's really helpful, you know. I think in a lot of times, especially Beautiful. as a leader, yeah, and do a lot of people, entrepreneurs, you know, it's, it's, there's rare and there are ways now, but it's rare to be able to be successful on your own entirely. You typically have to have a team with you and, you know, that team inevitably there will be um, questions or conflict or, or um, confrontation or people will, will say something. And if you can pause between what initially comes into your head and how you react, you're going to be a much better leader because you're not going to take the easy way out, which is to, you know, I'm angry, so I'm going to lash out. Mm. It could be, hey, that upset me. You know, maybe it's not the best time to think about this or talk about this, or maybe I need to be really careful with how I respond, or maybe I need to just let that person know, hey, that upset me. Um, as an example, you know, it's easy when things are going well. It's easy for you to look like a good leader and people think you're a good leader. It's when mistakes occur, which will inevitably occur in any team setting, mm-hmm. and and how and how you're going to have to interact and, and react not just to people you work with, but potentially competitors, um, you know, potentially investors, what have you, getting a no. Are you going to send a snotty email if somebody says they don't want to invest in you? And then you're going to burn that relationship. It's going to have a lot more impact right. and negativity on you. So in stoicism, I find that to be really like a great thing to think of is you can't really prevent or, you know, say, oh, I shouldn't feel mad. Fine. If you feel mad, that's cool. What do you do about it? Right. Do you go right. act mad or do you chill and then you, do you, you know, interact more thoughtfully? I love it. Brilliant, man. Thanks for letting us take a, a, a walk down that rabbit hole. I think there's a real lesson here. And, and I've been lucky to interview a ton of people around the planet. And that's the first time I've had a conversation around stoicism. So uh, I think there's some real values in, in, in having people really understand that a bit more. Uh, because you're right, we tend to react more off of emotion than we do off of uh, 
intellect, if I could put it that way. So, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you can tell, but James has got a little bit of a background in the accounting world, the finance world. Uh, he's a CPA, he's a CA. He was with KPMG for about two years. And we're talking to James. He's based out of Halifax, where he is today. He is a Atlanta Canadian entrepreneur. His company, Cap Intel, has, uh, has locations in Gatineau region and also in Toronto. And we're going to start to dive now into that journey of Cap Intel. First of all, though, I, you know, when I talk to entrepreneurs, and hopefully you'll be able to relate to me on this one, I always say to them, stay away from accountants at the beginning. <laughs> you still need them, but at the beginning, they're risk adverse. Their job is not to suggest you become risky. Their job is to minimize this. So you went from two years at KPMG. You obviously got the, had the finance background. What was that point, James, that you said, there's something out there and I need to grasp it as an entrepreneur? Uh, yeah, great question. I feel like every four years in my career or even in, in, in schooling, I sort of have a bit of a crisis of, you know, okay, what am I doing? How, you know, how can I, uh, how can I level up? Um, yeah, just by the, just, I don't mean to interrupt, but you're now into four years, eight months with Cap Intel. I think it's okay. Is this interview going to, Sabrina, make sure he sticks around at least for a month. She's his production <laughs> artist because we need this to be relevant. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, no. Back to you. Uh, it's funny, actually. I, I did have one uh, um, I'm here as a way to, uh, you know, finally, though, it wasn't like what direction am I on? It's, it's how do I get better? But yeah, but every right. four years, you know, I've, I've had something where I've really tried to call myself out um, on it and, and to say, like, am I on the right trajectory? Am I doing what I want to be doing? Um, am I headed the right way I want to be headed? And I think that's really important because I think in any entrepreneurial journey, you're not going to start it because you feel amazing and life is really easy at that moment and it's the perfect time. Um, I think you're going the door. Yeah, no sweat. Um, I think you're going to start it through a difficult moment or difficult conversation with yourself, you know, you need that to push you to change. And so, um, I started in accounting, I uh, started an audit, uh, you know, I, I wasn't really, I wasn't a great auditor. It wasn't for me. It just really was not a right fit. And I said, okay, this is not something I want to do. And I went to my uh, boss at KPMG and he was nice enough to refer me into a different division, which I had done a co-op in, in their investment banking group. Um, where we were selling companies, owner-operated companies. And so I was able to transfer um, from Halifax to Toronto, where uh, the investment banking group was based. And I, I spent two and a half years in a role that I liked a lot more. Nice. And yeah, it was, it was really great. And I, I'm grateful for them um, to have given me that opportunity. And I learned a ton. And I think I, I realized, you know, I've always wanted to run a company. Like I'm one of those kind of fr frustrating people who's been, I'm like, I know what I want to do basically for my entire life. I've only ever wanted to run a business. Um, nice. I remember being like five, wanted to be the CEO of McDonald's because I like Big Macs. Like, it's just the one <laughs> thing I want to do in my life. And it's always been that. I've always thought about career early. I've always been really focused on it. I knew it's kind of like the area I want to, <laughs> you know, have my ambition and where I want to kind of lay down my mark. And it was just yeah. like, how do I get there? Um, Still an accountant though. So I, you know, going to university, I was like, I don't really have a good idea to start anything. So why don't I just create like a pretty investable resume to say, okay, if I get a financial right, services, right. get the CA. Uh, and you went to nice Dalhousie thing. University, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I went to yeah, Dal. Cool. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. No, it's, it's good. Both my yeah, parents. I just want to bring back those. Uh, oh, really? That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. just to keep it, keep it to those, those East Coast roots for, uh, for the guessers. So that, that's great. So uh, sorry, keep going. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, absolutely. So, yeah, I went, uh, you know, grew up in, in Halifax, um, you know, went to school um, there, went to Dow, and then worked for about 18 months in, in uh, Halifax at KPMG, um, and then transitioned over. And so for me, that whole journey was like, I always knew I wanted to get somewhere. You know, I didn't have any ideas within the, 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 C, uh, the accounting or the audit sort of program at KPMG for, for a business. Um, and, you know, I took that found a job I liked a bit more, really enjoyed that, tried to take some skills. But after around two years, I thought, okay, here's the crisis coming. We're four years in. 
how do we, uh, how do I get there? Like I'm not heading in the direction I want to be. I don't have a business. You know, I don't see myself running KPMG. What do I do? And so that was really where I started to take the idea of starting a company more seriously mm-hmm. um, and really sort of thinking about what's something that's going to be meaningful for me. It's always been really important to me that the company that I'm a part of or the company that I, I started or ran uh, was an impactful business and wealth mm-hmm. management is an incredibly impactful business. You know, a lot of people, mm. wealth management's for everybody. Like it's, it's, I think there's wealth management starts at a small amount of money. It doesn't have to just be, you know, mm. large, large components of cash and, and specific sort of subsets of the population, you know, going into a bank and buying a mutual fund is wealth management. And no matter what level of wealth you have, you still have life goals that are based around wealth, whether that's, you know, retiring at a certain age, whether that's um, sending a child through school, paying for their education, um, whether that's buying a house, right, or just paying off um, a loan, these are all big goals for people in their life, and that's underpinned by wealth. And so, mm-hmm. um, if I could find a way to be a part of that industry, I think it's really important. That's something that would allow uh, me to feel like this is a really not just a really interesting in, in, uh, business, but a really impactful business that can um, assist a lot of people. Yeah, love it. So, okay. So you were in Toronto, you had a seed of, of an urge to do something. You stuck to a lane finance numbers. Uh, and what I love what he said, ladies and gentlemen, too, is impact. And I love that. I love that piece because one, it's, it's one of servitude, but also it was one of servitude to you. And in those darker days when you're starting up, particularly in your trying to put all these pieces together, that type of uh, burn is so critical, incredibly important to, uh, to, to maintain. So, okay, James, so we're, we're at this point now, you're in Toronto and we're, what was the, the start where you say, okay, did you start part-time? Did you, or did you dive in? It looks like you went to uh, uh, Next Founders. Did, did that help you to, to percolate the, uh, the, the, the cap Intel model? Yeah, so so I basically started um, just on weekends at the start. Investment making hours are, are are long; they're known to be long, and so you don't have a ton of spare time. And so I just thought I need to put in, you know, six hours um, every weekend um, mm. on this pro. You know, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm just writing out a, a, a you know some sort of business model, whether I'm just trying to think about it, I just need to put time in and sort of start. And I think that's something that. Yeah. You know, super important is you have to start. You're never going to be perfect to start. Um, you're never going to have the right equipment. You're never going to be in the right space. It, you know, you just need to kind of kick it off. Is is the most important thing. And as you do that, it will gain momentum. Right. Um, and you'll continue to do it and continue to build on it. And so I, I started very early talking to some people. I had some friends who were kind of interested in it. Um, getting their opinion, trying to get out there. Um, and, and then trying to visit people, you know, if I could take an hour out of the day, I had some good support at KPMG and my boss is there to sort of say, okay, you know, I'm wrapping up here. I gave them a lot of notice. I said, if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind taking an hour or two here or there if I need to go meet somebody is to talk. And so I had a bit more freedom for the nice. you know, six, six weeks or so, um, which was great because that was something that they provided me and this opportunity provided me to be able to go meet people. And so that was when it got cool. to get really serious. I'd say that was the mm-hmm. hardest part though was of the entire journey. The hardest part was I had a full-time job that was very demanding and I had a part-time passion that I was trying to get going and it sucked. Um, and I think that that's really important. Like I, it wasn't like it didn't feel like work working on cap Intel and the precursor to it. It definitely felt like work. In fact, it felt way more painful than regular work because it was the time I was totally exhausted. I, I wanted to be, you know, sitting on the couch doing nothing. And I had to really dig in and dig deep to do that. And it took me you know, six months of doing this weekend stuff to get to a position where I thought, okay, I can now start to you know, see an exit. I can see timing from an exit based on the workload I had. Um, and, I, and I was able to approach my bosses. So that was something I think is really important is like a yes. lot of people say, if you work on something you love, you won't work a day in your life. Like you 100% will work. Right. So let's talk about that, James, for a second. What what was I mean? Because you're representative of a lot of people going through their part time, full time uh, journey and getting things going. 
what are what's a hack or two that you you were able to grab onto that allowed you to get through that 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 mucky stage? Yeah, so so there's a couple of things. Mostly it's mindset, right? Like that's that's kind of what it comes down to is mm-hmm. is putting in the hours um, and and sort of forcing yourself. Um, there's a there's a book um, called The War of Art. Um, mm. and they have this idea where, you know, the author, it's quite a short book, it's worth reading if you're kind of in this position, but the author is, is essentially a writer and his whole thing is, I'm just going to sit down for eight hours in front of my computer and I'm going to write. And as long as I'm writing, that's, what's going to make sure that I'm going to make progress. And sometimes it'll be, you know, three sentences. Sometimes it'll be 50 pages, but I'm just going to write. I'm a professional. This is what I'm supposed to do. If you distill it down, right. like really, really high. It's probably the world's best uh, summary of that book, but it's this idea <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> this is what you need to do. You got to put the time in essentially, and you got to not let things distract you. Even if it feels productive, right. you got to not let it distract you because it's a distraction. So you put those six hours aside. And, and I think too, like that part of not being discouraged, you know, I walked in thinking it was going to feel, you know, like totally exciting and totally not tiring at all. And it wasn't going to be feel difficult to be working on this passion project because they're supposed to be called passion projects. Um, But it, but it was right. And I think that that was something that was a bit of a surprise, discouraging at the start. But I think now looking back at it, it's like, it's just, it's difficult to start a business. It's not easy to work through a lot of these things. You're going to have to read a bunch of stuff. You're going to have to test things out. You're going to have to put yourself out there like generally speaking, you are going through a very uncomfortable phase to get there. Yes. And, and so not to be discouraged by that, not to expect it to feel different. It will still feel like work. Um, you will find, and now that I'm sort of in the position I am now, or being able to do this for a long time, I've been afforded the opportunity to run the business and starting to now see it take shape um, in a way that, that gets me really excited. You know, there still is areas where it feels like work, but it, overall now I'm, I'm much, much happier. Still definitely put in hours to definitely do work. Um, but it will sort of switch after a while. So I definitely found that part-time kind of half in and half out is the hardest piece when you go fully out and you're completely in, involved and entrenched in the business. Um, again, you're still going to have to work through a lot of things, you know, no matter what anybody says, it's never fun to be totally unfunded or totally underfunded with, you know, <laughs> one or two people, um, where nobody sees your idea. You don't see that you know, fully in, in a software and you're trying to evangelize it and get people to believe in it. Like it, it is, it is a thing. You can look at it back sure. romantically, but it is when you're there, I still remember it's, it's not super easy. Well, the, the journey of any good, any good relationship, let alone life is full of lots of, uh, lots of uh, interesting roller coaster rides. And some of them you scream at and some of you smile at. So <laughs> I love that. So talk about the value proposition for uh, Cap Intel that that you started with and where it's at now, or maybe it's still the same as it was when you started. Yeah, so so I think it's it's you know expanded. Um, obviously, since we first started, I kind of had this idea like really early on of doing um, a Trivago for mutual funds and ETFs for self-directed investors. So, like in 2016, when I was thinking a lot about this there's a whole surge of robo advice was sort of like entering the wealth management space really actively. And so there's a lot of coverage around that. And I thought maybe there's an alternative where somebody doesn't want to work on with a robo advisor and they want to sort of do some self-directed, you know, assisted sort of, sort of work. Uh, And as I started studying that, that's actually what I quit my job to start um, and um, had a terrible name. I call it bizarre investment market. Um, But anyway, it is what it is. Um, and, uh, yeah, remember you're an accountant. Creativity typically isn't in your face, <laughs> unless you're the CEO of McDonald's, which you had an aspiration to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, uh, you know, there's the accounting creativity, um, there. And then, you know, I, I remember like getting out and starting that talking, going to a self-directed investor conference, um, talking to some advisors who were there and they sort of said, Hey, you know, it's, it's, um, there's a lot of like, we want to be able to, to sort of create and show recommendations to clients too. It's more difficult um, than you'd think, right? And so when I realized that the pros didn't necessarily have the tools that they were looking for either, I thought, okay, if I improve the system, you know, going back to that impact thought, if I improve the system yeah, yeah, yeah. that serves everybody, you know, the outcome is going to be much greater than trying to go in um, sort of on my own. 
And so I started working with financial advisors and really trying to understand how do they speak about investments with clients? What's important to retail clients to understand their investments? Um, how do we help them articulate that information really simply? And then how do we help solve sort of broader problems for, for wealth management firms and for their advisor base? And yes. so it's really evolved into you know just learning that space more and more um, and to now trying to help position it so advisors can provide you know really tailored advice, but not just in that way, also give them the technology to then show their clients, you know, this is my recommendation, here's my rationale behind it in a way that the client's going to really understand, which is so key because of how important wealth is to people. You know, mm-hmm. people talk a lot about um, different types of markets, mass affluent, which is like 250,000 to a million in investable assets, high net worth, which is a million and ultra high net worth, which is 5 million plus, and then sort of mass market. But, but to people, they don't categorize themselves that way because it's still their wealth, right? And so right. somebody's going to care if they have you know, $50,000 to their name, they're going to care the same amount as somebody who has a million dollars to their name. And I think that's been something that's been a really interesting dynamic where as advisors, you want to be able to help that person really understand what you're doing with that money, why you're making a recommendation. Um, and that's going to give them a lot of calm and ease when they can fully understand it. You can imagine if somebody was trying to explain something really important to you in a bunch of language um, you didn't understand, that would be hard for you um, to follow and could create some anxiety for you as a, as a retail client. And so being able to make that interaction as simple as it can be so that they really understand what you're recommending is going to both help the advisor deliver advice um, and help the client really understand it and feel good about the advice they're getting. So that's really where we've been focused for the last couple of years. Stay subscribed and hit the bell icon to be notified of our upcoming podcast with Commissioner Matthew Boswell of the Competition Bureau. Hear about competition and marketing rules every business should know. Click the link in the description to learn more about creating an effective compliance program. You know, it sounds like such an obvious solution to offer to a very complex industry that's trying to explain something. What was the, was it technology? Was it just because you saw, I mean, I, 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 what I love about what I love about what you're doing amongst many things is that you said this isn't working, and so you took an obvious and you just provided it. Where people, I think, entrepreneurs are looking for the deep, deep rooted problem when it's really right in front of them. What's what? What, what do you? Why do you think the industry, the wealth industry, the wealth advisement industry, just really didn't have those tools in the first place? Just it's old school thinking. No, I think it's just, you know, they're, they're, it's a very complex tool and a very complex solution that needs mm-hmm. to be delivered simply. And I think, I think mm-hmm. that that's the issue is that it's, you know, there's a lot of different systems um, that people have relied on in the past. I think there's a portion of it that's legacy. Um, but I also think that, that, you know, people underestimate how difficult it can be to do that. And I right. think that that's really been an area where, we focus a lot of our time on is how do we deliver it in a way that's really easy for both the customer to understand and the advisor to provide. Yeah, that. totally. Yeah. You know, so it, it's been a gap that a lot of people have tried to solve with a lot of internal processes and tools and whatnot. And, okay. Um, yeah. For us. So it, it's, it's interesting because it has been an issue um, and to get there has been, has, it's, it's just hard. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Cause I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always intrigued with the first customer. Uh, don't, you don't have to, you know, breach confidentiality on this conversation, but how did you get your first customer who ultimately raised their hand and said, yeah, James, I'm willing to give a try on this one or not a try, but a buy. Can you talk about that first customer piece for your, uh, with Cap Intel? Yeah, for sure. So like we were a B2B business and I think that, you know, when you read a lot of different um, startup methodologies like the Lean Startup or, or you or you hear people speaking, um, in conferences and whatnot, you're trying to sort of assess like as an entrepreneur early days, how do I measure uh, success for me and that I'm solving the problem? Uh, there's sort of two like large speaking, two camps that people sort of push. One is is revenue and the other one is usage or, or sort of indicating metrics. Um, the indicating metrics is metrics component, especially uh, when I started Capintel, 
was sort of the leading thought process of get people to use it, show that they're using it. And, you know, that will prove that they like it. And, and I always thought I'm really going to focus on revenue because I know if somebody's willing to pay for it, that, mm. that it's going to be something that they, they like. It solves a pain point. Mm-hmm. And so we were trying to sell a very early precursor of the platform. It was a much more basic version than it is today. Uh, maybe has 15% of the capabilities. Okay. And, you know, we, we showed it to a bunch of different firms. We found some um, leading, you know, thought, uh, some thought leaders, one who's actually from Newfoundland. Um, so there you go. Who um, was Love able it. to, yeah, was able to um, see kind of the vision and he said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And, you know, it was just a really simple tool at that point, but it solved, it solved a pretty high level, like or pretty surface uh, area pain point for them. And we were able to, to sign our first contract for, I think it was, uh, I still have the check. Um, I, I printed it, you know, we took, I, we took it, we went to a, a restaurant and it was like $700 or something like that or $500. And we, we spent it all at dinner just to say like, nice. we're nice. Gonna, yeah, nice. celebrate the win. Um, yeah, it was that's awesome. so cool. Yeah, especially so after like you, you're not really paying yourself a ton when you start, and so you're able to yes. be a bit splashy. So I'd encourage people to find your first revenue check, you know, and and within you know reason spend spend a good chunk of it on like a nice keg dinner or something like that just to celebrate. So celebrate right on, dude! I, I love that. I love it. Now, were you based in Toronto when this happened, or yeah? The, so talk about Toronto, Gatineau, Halifax, because it's part of your scaling. Um, you've obviously had three locations. I'm sure you had many customers beyond just simply those three centers, but can you talk about this, this, this the growth strategy, um, why those markets and how you're ultimately planning to grow uh, Cap Intel into the future? Yeah, great, great question. So um, we, we were based in Toronto for uh, a long time for sort of our start two, two and a half years or, or what are actually more three years. Um, and, we kind of been around. We went out to you know, the Esplanade and rented space from a, a venture capital firm who had a little office that they gave for very little, which was really nice of them. Um, so shout out to Scale Up. Thanks for the uh, thanks for having us. For uh, it was supposed to be ninety days. We were there for like a year and a half, um, and it was awesome. Um, but yeah, so we 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 started there, moved around a little bit, and then we started to get some more revenue. Uh, moved ourselves downtown, where all the you know banks and and our and our customers are. Of course, yes. Or a large chunk of them are. And so then with the pandemic, we sort of said, okay, you know, we had people from kind of all over Canada, you know, really from from um kind of the East Coast and, and from Toronto and from Gatineau who had all moved into Toronto to try to make this work. Uh-huh. And um our CTO, for example, um, Max, he's from Gatineau. And so he had actually moved to Toronto with us for a year. Um, or so, and then was kind of doing a commute back and forth on the train every other week. He'd, he'd stay in Toronto, helping um, run around pitching at different banks with me and, and sort of helping also build the platform at the same time. So um, quite a heroic effort from him. Right. And, and then when the pandemic hit, I was kind of like, okay, everybody, you know, go home. We're not really sure when, when this is all going to um, be done. And so location, no longer an issue. Uh, and yeah. the need for us to be right downtown in Toronto obviously Got changed. It. So we sort of let people go wherever they want it. And then as they did that, they went back into their own home networks where they started to know people. And we were able to actually recruit really good people because they're like, oh, hey, I know Max. I worked with him, you know, uh, or I know about him or we went to school together. And so we were actually able to use that to start to build out different offices. So it, you know, until January, uh, or sorry, July of 2021, we had, Halif- we had uh, Toronto and Gatineau and then I moved back to um, Halifax in January. Our head of product moved from Toronto in July, and we opened up an office in Volta um, in Halifax. And so ever since then, we've been sort of scaling the three offices, which approximately hold uh, 10 people in each region right now. Um, Congratulations. Which is great. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah it is good. It's it really, really great. So, um, uh, so I'm, I'm going to pause the journey of to the next level where you're going to take it next. But, you know, you, James, what, why did you come back to Halifax? You could have stayed in Toronto. You could, I mean, you got roots here and I get those emotional connections. I really, is that what it is? Or is there something bigger, better, faster that you 
can share with the audience because this is a Canadian audience. And a lot, you know, Halifax is becoming a real spotlight for the world to come to, let alone Canadians. So, talk about your as the as the as the founders, the as the president, CEO. Why you did you go to Halifax again? Yeah, great question. So, you know, when I left, um, I felt like Halifax had had a lot it, it, as an accountant and, and in that sort of space. You know, I left because there wasn't a job in the area that I wanted to be in, mm. and you know. I felt I felt that it was important to me at some point in my journey to be able to create jobs in the East Coast. I just thought it was something that was like personally important to me because I think mm-hmm. there should be really good opportunities there. And so I kind of had that in my back back of my mind when I left. Um, thought maybe I could come back someday, but didn't really see a way to make it happen. So I was like, okay, well that's okay if I can start an office or or you know do something there, then I'll I'll feel good about it. Um, with the pandemic, obviously, location kind of really freed up. And so we thought it would just, you know, we were renting at the time. We thought, hey, you know, why why have the flexibility of renting if you don't have the flexibility of renting? And it seemed like there's really no opportunity cost um, to, to do it. So so I was able to move back. And then obviously in the interim, kind of the past six years or so, Halifax really stepped his game up when it comes to, like, yeah. you know, startups and um, place to live and, and you know, amenities and, and all that. And so I was really impressed. Obviously, I came back a ton. I was really impressed by it. Uh, and I had a, a, a key member of the team or had a product we really wanted to also come back. And we thought, you know, let's make a go of this. Um, let's try to see what the, the local talent looks like. We've obviously been, you know, really, really impressed, really blown away. And we've actually moved people from other parts of the country to Canada. So, or to, to sorry, at Nova Scotia from, from BC, from Ontario. Um, and so people sort of come from all over. And I think it, it offers us as a, as, a, as a company an opportunity to provide people sort of different options when it comes to where they want to live. You know, if it's, if it's Gatineau or Ottawa, if it's Toronto, if it's Halifax, you know there are different sort of um, locations now that people can do it. So it's always important to me to be able to, to start and, and and bring people there, just just coming from Halifax and wanting to you know help with that wave of of all the new startups and talent and how many new jobs and cool uh, things people are up to and trying to be a part of that and support that. Um, combined with uh, the pandemic, sort of seeing that as an as an opportunity. So that's really cool, and we're proud of that. Yeah, well, it, and we're proud to have you back, man. <laughs> it's great to have you here. Um, so people will be leaning in right now. I know I am. I'm saying, well, wait a minute, James. It's a virtual world now. Why did you bring people from BC to Halifax? What's your philosophy strategy on still running virtual loca- or, you know, separate locations, but bringing people physically to to Halifax, what was the what's the strategy or the rationale behind that physical move for people? Yeah, so I think um, you know early early days it looked like as, as things were kind of opening back up that hybrid was going to be sort of the future uh, of it, and you know with the recent setbacks mm-hmm. kind of back to virtual. But I think hybrid will still always be a really attractive mm-hmm. option for people, even mm-hmm. if they're you know going from from uh, you know an hour outside of a city to to the office you know once or twice a week or or, mm-hmm. or once or twice a month. I still feel people like to have that connection and certainly the people that we brought into the team like to have an opportunity to sort of meet together and, you know, maybe be able to hang out, do, do some social stuff together. Um, right. That connection, I, th- I still think is really important to the extent that you can do it. Virtual is always going to be a part of it, but I think being able to offer remote, sorry, hybrid in multiple markets is going to allow us to compete uh, better for talent because people don't feel like they just have to be from home. You know, we've spoke to a bunch of people who've been um, work from home kind of pre-pandemic going all the way through who say, you know, I, I just really like to be able to engage with the team if I could. And we've been able to win people a lot to, to bring them on board because of that that opportunity. And so when we had some people where we thought, you know, we really want to build this office out, um, we we had some people who really committed to the business. Said, hey, do you mind kind of moving and helping us build this office out? Uh, and they they were you know all over it. And then as we started to post jobs um, and saying, look, it's it's based in Halifax, but it's hybrid work. You can still work from home. We found some people who were kind of interested in moving anyway, and and were from you know other markets, and then were really good candidates. So the best candidate for the role for us, we were able to kind of bring them in and say, okay, this is going to be additionally how we can kind of how we can kind of build it. So um, love it. Yeah, that's been huge for us, and I think I think people enjoy it because in the different offices they can. They can do that, and then for me as 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 CEO, when I go visit, I can go and see everybody, and I get a chance to sort of meet yes. on the team, um, which I did just in the fall, sort of before um, everything um, shut down again. 
had a good opportunity when, when things were pretty light to be able to actually go and, and meet everybody. And, you know, we went out for dinner and, and we did some workshopping and just really nice way to kind of get to meet um, the, the team and sort of see the vibe in each different office. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, I know my daughter works for a, a marketing company, Trampoline in, in Halifax, and they offer that same model. She loves it. She yeah. actually, that's, that's key of, of, of an attraction for her. So, so uh, for, for what that is worth, that research of one, uh, there's a validation <laughs> for you. So um, I, I've got some, <laughs> I got some more questions coming for you, but the next one I want to know is, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you know, uh, James talks about 10 people in each location. He's been in business for almost five years, um, maybe or more now based on the, the LinkedIn profile. They keep the, the ticker going well. Um, that's, uh, that's good growth from an employee perspective, uh, great growth. How did you scale? When did you? Here's the question. When do you know when to add another person into your business? Yeah, so so it's interesting. So we're in the we're in the middle of actually changing our mindset on this. Um, okay, but sort of in the zero to thirty. So we we started twenty twenty one at I think around nine people. Um, we ended twenty twenty one at twenty six people. So last year was a big year of growth for us. Um, since then we've added like I think another five people in this first month in 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 January. So we're really seeing a lot of growth right now, and um, the early days, I still think this is a great rule to follow is bring somebody on when the pain of not having them is excruciating. And, mm. you know, when you are really capital strapped as you are in the early days, you need to be careful with every dollar you spend. It's really important to take that time to really bring people in as needed. And, and when you're really starting to feel that you need them, and that's going to help make sure that you're getting the most out of that person they're coming in and, and immediately adding value. Um, and you have a really defined role because sometimes early days, you don't really know until it's really painful, like what that role needs to be. And, and, you know, the acuteness of that pain, um, you know, where you're going to feel that jank in your day, where you really like to have that helping hand, that's yeah. going to really focus you on what that person needs to do. And right, that's right. really important because it's, it's, you know, I think it's really important. One of the things, so I went through two accelerators in in uh, in our journey. I went through a creative destruction lab in the East Coast, and then I went through Next Founders um, in Toronto. Mm -hmm. But one thing that Jay Agrawal, who sort of helped found both of those, and I believe founded um, Creative Destruction Lab, um, always says is, is startups don't fail because they have a bad idea or a bad team. They typically fail because they run out of time. And right. so the idea is that you want to make sure you're mm. really spending your money really carefully you're, you're being really judicious with every dollar you spend and with every role you build. And so right. what you really don't want to do is bring on somebody before you need them because, mm -hmm. or, or, or even, you know, just as you need them, you want to kind of be a little late on the hiring to a degree, because that's going to make sure you really understand how to leverage that person and that they're going to come in and immediately start to, to add value and free you up. You're also going to have it. an idea of how you can use your new time that you have in the, in the past. And I think that works to a degree. Yeah. When you um, start, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. When you say when you start. Yeah. When you start to grow and you start to, to, you know, get a more scalable business that's, that is more predictably growing. Yes. That's when you can't have that mindset anymore. So you need to change right. it to, we got to hire ahead. So yes, I need yes. to hire a salesperson. Now they're going to start to make effect in four months when they start to make effect, they're going to need support. So maybe I need somebody to help implement the projects that they're going to be working with. You know, you need to start thinking about how to hire ahead of yourself. And so we've actually been working right now into how to change that mindset from sort of the original that got us here, which was hire when it's excruciating to, you know, higher capacity ahead of, of when you necessarily need it because there's ramp up time and you, and you can start to predict it more. I could keep talking to you for hours, man. You were <laughs> really, I just, these questions keep coming to me, coming to me, uh, but I can't. <laughs> so we'll have a, Sabrina, we'll have a 2.0, please. Let's set that up. <laughs> You've been awesome. Be happy so to. I've got, yeah, and seriously, we should do that. Let's make sure we do that because your story is absolutely amazing. So I, I've got two questions, and then I'm, I'm unfortunately uh, we have to remember we're dealing with entrepreneurs and these things, so their attention span might be a little lower. You mentioned about bankers. You 
you moved it all downtown so you could go to banks to banks. So, so most startup entrepreneurs be leaning, well, how did you get meetings with these people? Did you walk in the door and say, Hi, I'm James from Nova Scotia. I went to Dell. Where do you say, hey, I'm a jiu-jitsu champ. You better let me in. <laughs> uh, no. How did you get those conversations? Yeah. So so I think, you know, Canada is an awesome market for startups because it's a relatively small market. And so it's a really great place to sort of incubate um, in an area where you can, you know, the world is not as big as it feels all the time. Um, Toronto is smaller than it feels in in the industry that you're in, right? No, no matter how big it can feel, it it is smaller because of the subset of people you're working with. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I really got entrenched in into the financial district and the downtown core. Um, whether it was, you know, I, I had a gym membership there, so I met a bunch of people at, at the gym. You know, oh hey, I I work in this part of BMO, and oh hey, yeah. do you know this this person? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, let me set up the introduction. You know, it was really, really naturally like working the the network and trying to build up my own network and put wow. myself out there and try to attend um, things that people held, um, different different conferences that people held and whatnot to try to get my name. And then also seeing, okay, who do I know that might know somebody? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think you don't have to have a network um, to to begin with. You can establish one uh, yourself, and I think that's really important. You know, I, I don't, I didn't really use to a large degree. Um, the network that I had at KPMG because there's a lot of private equity firms and companies that weren't in the space and 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 didn't really yeah. know people in the space that I needed. So it was really about how do I build it really naturally and try to find ways um, to meet people. And so it was it was really just that was trying to network and then you get an introduction and that would work. It's not a scalable model from you know that doesn't necessarily work at at, at uh, you know with a hundred people trying to do it. But for yeah. you to start in the really early days, like you can really invest time into that, getting to know people, and then naturally trying to find a way to meet them or, hey, you, you do know this colleague and they might be able to then pass you to that person or they might know somebody. And so sometimes you'd be sitting in front of somebody who is like three or four introductions into it and they have no idea where you're sitting there, but you know why you're there and you know how you got there. And that can be the way that it really started. So within wow. the banks, it's important to try to build a network of people who might know somebody there, um, try to find out what you can go in at, at the ground level. So if there's like a frontline version of, of what you're going after, I'm trying to talk to some of those people. You know, these are different ways you can do it with any sort of enterprise sale. It's really about how can you find ways to, to meet people who can then potentially eventually lead you there. And people are pretty generous with networks um, mm-hmm. to people. And, and you know, you want to pay that forward too. If somebody needs to meet somebody, Definitely good to 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 make the introduction and and not be um you know be able to again pay that forward because other people are going to do it for you, uh, and you never know right so that that's really how it's working. You never know. Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely. You never know. You know, you mentioned something about who do you know that I should know the great leadership uh, uh, maverick, not the maverick anymore. He's he's more of a sage. Uh, John Maxwell. Let's say he built his empire asking that simple question: Who do you know that I should know? And what's interesting, people always move you up a scale. It's never about, I'm going to put you down to the person that I am, just to get rid of you. So I love that you mentioned that. What, do you, what, are, what, is, uh, what specific roles do you assume as a CEO? Yes, there's a higher level of responsibility. I get that. But what, what do you primarily focus on, let's say, on a day-to-day basis as a CEO, as a founder? Yeah, really good question. You know, I think it's it's changing, um, which is important. I have a really good friend of mine, um, actually guy guy I met at the gym um, downtown. <laughs> he runs he runs a uh, a software company in the financial space, and yes. you know he has these great bits. And I sort of said to him at one point when we were really growing, I'm like, look, I really don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed <laughs> to be doing anymore. Like, I don't know my my role. Like, you know, I used to I used to do a lot of a lot of this, and now somebody else is doing it. And he's like, I love that. He's like. You know, CEO should always be having a crisis of conscience. Like, what do I do? Or identity ah. crisis. Like, how do I get here? Uh, yeah, sorry, identity crisis. Like, how do I get? What, what am I supposed to do now? Like, I'm redundant. Now I need to do this next thing. And I, I think that's something that, that you know, as you're doing work and as you are scaling, it's like, okay, am I the best person to be doing this, or could somebody who had more time, more time to think about this, be doing a better job? Right. And and right. then, okay, can I empower that person? So the more that you're doing that your role is then to then create the best environment possible for these people to do 
their best. And so a lot of what I focus on on the day-to-day, there's still some of that stuff I'm doing, administrative things and 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 whatnot that's slowly getting passed off. You know, I'm an accountant too, so I've obviously done our budget and all that type of work for a long time. Um, but as that even comes off my plate, you know, I'm going to be faced, okay, then how do I make sure that that the, the company and that people are really in the best place? So spending a lot of time thinking about leadership, spending a lot of time sure. thinking about how how what's the employee experience at the business? How do I make it as as good as it can possibly be? How do I empower them and make them feel um and you know, like they really care about about the role and make them feel really autonomous and and focusing a lot on on leadership and trying to be more strategic and less tactical. Um, again, that's going to happen as you grow. Early days, you're going to have a lot more on your plate. It's a, a different sort of piece. I think for the first 18 months, my dr- job is just to keep money in the account. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. how I felt it. So if it was sales or if it was fundraising, but it will continuously evolve. Um, and I'm excited to see, like, as we keep growing, as we we go into, you know get to the hundred employee market to the, the two or hundred or 500, like how that's going to change, um, you know, as more things get to, to, to be held on by other people and, the, and I get to see what they're able to do, um, with it and how they can grow up beyond whatever I could have ever accomplished. That's going to be really interesting. So that's, that's what I'm excited for. It's why I've always wanted to be a CEO. I think it's a really uh, great job. Um, I mm-hmm. think it's a really interesting role, interesting life. And uh, it's going to keep changing as more of this grows, and 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 as I'm, you know, infinitely more redundant, um, that's going to be, you know, the goal. Don't forget, there's still a five year old boy in there that wants to be the CEO of McDonald's, right? So uh, <laughs> uh, don't count that yet. <laughs> don't count that, dude. I am not. I am not. So I'm serious. Uh, tweak, tweak. We're, we're, I love to keep this conversation about the uh, the transformation you're going here. You're just doing amazing stuff. Uh, your team was just amazing setting up this conversation for what it's worth, kind, uh, attentive. I had to cancel once, you had to cancel once. And so we, uh, you, you really got a cool culture going, kind people who are obviously doing impactful work. Um, so just amazing stuff. How do people hang out with you first? And how do people then hang out with Cap Intel? Uh, great, great question. So, you know, if you want to see what we're up to, we got a ton of jobs posted all the time. So if you want to be a part of nice. the team, uh, LinkedIn's the easiest place. That's kind of where we're most active. Um, we also have, uh, I'll do a quick plug uh, for a small subset of the audience here. We also have a podcast where we cover new fund launches, new product launches called the Frontier Finance, where we interview a lot of portfolio managers from the asset management team um, of different groups. Yeah, I, I, I host that. Um, and you know, that comes out once a week, we had a, a really good first season, just wrapped second seasons kicking off in March. So we're really excited to cover some interesting financial products. If, uh, that is your thing, that's probably the, the best ways, um, to get a hold of us. Um, and then if you ever have any questions, you know, my future at capintel.com, um, if you're looking for a role, we always want to hear from people and be able to see, uh, who we can bring on the team. Cause we just love working with awesome people and we're trying to keep that going. So, um, yeah. I'm going to do my, there we go, the mic drop. We are done, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. James Rockwood, thanks for hanging out with me. Uh, Cap Intel, keep the journey going, my friend. And uh, I can't wait to continue to connect with you. I don't think we're first level connections on LinkedIn. So please accept my connection as I'm going to put that out in just a second. But let's keep hanging out. Let's keep telling your story. And uh, let's keep contributing to help you contribute to your journey. Thank you, my friend. Have a oh, good- Thanks so much. Yeah, it's just been awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great one. Thanks, Rivers.